from Beacon Point. This is Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. Co-host and certified financial planners, Kobe Cress and Karen Reifel, help listeners navigate various life moments and major life events through the lens of personal finance. Contrary to popular belief, these money conversations are not boring. Prepare to be informed and entertained. Welcome back to another episode of Dollars and Cents, a really great podcast about money. I'm Kobe Cress, and with me, as always, you know her well, Karen Reifel. Hey, Kobe. How's the new addition to the family? The new addition to the family is great. Before anybody out there gets too excited, it's not a baby, it's a dog. My wife and I just got a puppy corgi, uh, which is my third corgi, um, and uh, he's wonderful. His name is Rocket. Uh, he's cute as can be, a lot of fun, hasn't torn anything up in the house. And for anybody that's raised a puppy out there, uh, you know that that is a big accomplishment. So uh, the puppy is great, and I'm glad to be back uh, doing another episode with you today. I feel like a name like Rocket implies he's allowed to be a little mischievous. So um, happy to hear that he's joined the family. I got to see him uh, today, and he's adorable. Uh, and uh, he's got a really good home with you and the wife. Well, we appreciate it. We're excited to have him. And you're right. We may have set ourselves up for failure with a name like Rocket. So we will see. So far, he's a rocket that's usually asleep on the launch pad. So let's hope he stays a bit that way. Uh, (laughs) But today, Karen, we're talking about something that I think is really interesting. Um, And this started, for listeners out there, is we were going to do an all-encompassing episode on credit cards and credit card rewards, which is what we're talking about today. But we decided, you know what, credit cards, and maybe we'll do something about that in the future, but that's a little bit more boring than the rewards part of it. So today we thought, let's focus on credit card rewards. So we're going to walk you through what they are, why you should pay attention to them, how maybe you can maximize them, and so much more. But before we get into a discussion around credit card rewards, we have to talk about what's on our money mind. So Karen... What's on your money mind this week? I have, gosh, I have a lot of my money mind this week. I had to actually pick one. So um, I'll have many more to come. But uh, most pressing on my money mind, uh, as you know, Kobe, we have produced two humans in a short amount of time. My husband and I have two under the age of two. And uh, we delivered both boys at the same hospital. And uh, Kessler, my husband, he's in uh, the Coast Guard, so active duty military. And I carry insurance under uh, the military insurance is called TRICARE. So I have a, TRICARE is my secondary insurance. I have a primary carrier through Beacon Point that I've just decided to hold. Maybe not necessary, but I've held it, you know, since babies are expensive to have. I thought, why not have the two? Long story short, for both children, um, TRICARE has not liked how the hospital bills. Uh, They bill just like they do any other insurance provider. And TRICARE is a little bit more particular about how they like to see the billing show up. And so um, as a result, TRICARE has denied my claim a second time. Um, They did so with the first in 2019. And then in 2020, here I am, another denied claim. And um, they're going back to the hospital saying... We need you to, you know, request the claim in a certain kind of way. So I say to the hospital, listen, this is going to be very simple. I just had a child a year before this. So why don't you look to see how you settled the first claim? Whatever you sent them that they ended up liking with the first claim, just do that, right? They, whatever that was, repeat it. And so I've actually, of course, I've had had that conversation with the hospital about three times. So the final time I finally spoke to the hospital, they said, well, I'm looking at your claim from 2019 and it turns out we just wrote it off. No way. (laughs) And I said, excuse me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, TRICARE denied it and they came back to us asking us to resubmit it in a certain way. So we just wrote it off. It was by the time it had gone through... You know, my primary insurance, TRICARE would only pick up the difference. It was about 22, between 22 and 26. I can't remember which one was 22 and which one was 26. But let's call it $2,300 that the hospital just decided they didn't need rather than just breaking up the claim in a way that the insurance company wanted to see it. And I thought, wow. I don't know why it bothered me, but it really did. You know, I mean, healthcare is not cheap. 
And to find, I know, listen, $2,600 is probably uh, clearly not, it's pennies to, to this big hospital. But still, I thought, wow, willing to forego that amount of money. Combined between the two claims, we're talking over $5,000, right? Because presumably they do the same thing. They just write it off. Um, and they're willing to let it go. So yeah, I'm. it's on my mind. I am floored by this. Because it's not like you had a unique procedure, what you know, once uh, it only comes up once every million patients, and you had some strange insurance. You live in an area that presumably not too far from San Diego and some major bases has a lot of military uh, in the area. You, your family included, uh, and and you uh, went in for what has to be one of the most routine things that a hospital handles, and they couldn't figure out how to bill on it and to the point where it what. I mean, you have to think the number of hours they must have been paying trying to figure this out where they thought, you know, we're paying somebody $30 an hour to figure this out. It's $2,600. So I, I can't even do the quick math on that. What, what, this is going to cost somebody 70 hours to figure out. We're just going to uh, write it off. And it doesn't seem that difficult, right? It couldn't be that many number of hours. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's very, very surprising to me. Um, but, and, and, I didn't receive a bill. It wasn't as if the credit, excuse me, clearly I have credit cards on the mind as well. It wasn't (laughs) just that the hospital um, accepted the denial status from from the insurance provider and came after the money, you know, from me. They just let it go altogether. And all the while, I had been thinking that they figured it out and they, they got paid. And lo and behold, they didn't. And apparently they didn't need it. My favorite part of this story has to be that, because it's relatable, that you kind of feel uh, bad about it or not not guilty per se, but just like it doesn't sit well with you. Because I feel like I would feel the same way. I would feel as if the fact that you didn't accept my insurance and I have two layers of insurance just means that I did something wrong or I submitted it wrong or I don't have good insurance or whatever it is. I would take that personally. Uh, even though it's no skin off, hey, I got it done and however you want to get paid for it, that's fine. But I think I would take that personally. Yeah. And and for those listeners that may have just heard my dog bark, that was my dog, not Kobe's brand new dog. I apologize. <laughs> in, in, in the interest of making sure that Rocket did not uh, make any noise during this podcast, uh, he is out in his crate. Okay. So big hospital doesn't need $5,000. What's on your money mind, Kobe? So I had something interesting come up this week that I had heard in the past, but I haven't come across it with clients. And and I don't operate in this space personally, so I I didn't know much about it. But it's interesting. I think it's valuable to a lot of folks. And that is in the realm of cryptocurrency. Now, I'm not going to make any recommendations. We've talked a little bit. Karen's got a look on her face like, oh my gosh, we've just opened a can of worms. Kobe said the word crypto. Uh, We're going to have to start this whole episode over. But bear with me. So I was speaking to somebody this week, a potential client uh, who does like cryptocurrency, is pretty involved and has been doing it for some time and all of those things. Uh, But he did bring up the fact that he has incurred some losses and that he is aware of. And I researched this and it is still the truth. Now, this could change. This could change quickly. So you need to check this for yourself. I'm going to put a lot of um, uh, disclaimers on this. This is, I'm not giving you tax advice. You need to speak to a tax professional. But when it comes to cryptocurrencies, the IRS has them labeled as property, not as securities. And what this means as of now is that they are not subject to wash sale rules. Which, if you're familiar with that, when it comes to investing, if you have a loss in a security, let's say you buy a stock and it falls in value, and if you sell that stock and you take a loss, you can uh, you can offset some of your future gains or your current gains uh, with that loss, right? There's at least some you get some kind of economic value from that loss. You obviously don't want the loss, but hey, you recoup a little bit on the side of taxes. But there's a rule in place that's called the wash sale rule, and it tells you that if you do sell a security and take a loss, you cannot immediately turn around and just rebuy that security and also take the loss. You have to wait 30 days uh, before you can repurpose, uh, purchase that security. This is not the case with cryptocurrencies. Uh, so if you have a big loss in a cryptocurrency, you still want to trade cryptocurrencies, but you also would like the economic value of a loss as of now. And again, you should check this. You should speak to a tax professional. You speak to your advisor. But as of now, the IRS has said uh, that you are not subjected to watchdog rules. 
But you do have to be careful of what the IRS would call a sham transaction, which means you can't just sell it and immediately buy it back. There are a few professionals out there. Jeffrey Levine, who's very popular in the tax planning space, recommends you wait at least one day before repurchasing. So there you have it. It's something to think about, not giving you something you should go out and do immediately. But I do think that's interesting, especially with the volatility that we've seen in cryptocurrency. And that's a big topic of conversation, even for those that don't own cryptocurrencies. A lot of my clients ask about it, ask for opinions and things like that. Uh, this is at least on the tax side of things, an interesting caveat to that discussion. So worth considering. It's certainly been on my mind. Wow. So that, yeah, this is news to me. I feel smarter than I did when we started the episode. Thank you for that. Uh, hopefully our listeners do too. I was unaware of that. It's interesting to me that they categorize it as property, but still treat it as a capital asset from a gain loss perspective altogether. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of like your home in that regards. It's property, yeah. but mm-hmm. you do you are subject to kind of different game loss rules, right? If you live in the home uh, and it's your primary residence, you cannot take capital loss on when you sell it. Uh, but if you have a gain, you also don't have to take a gain until you get above a threshold. I believe that's 750000 right now. It's right around that figure. Don't quote me on that, listeners. But certainly send it to us. Uh, info it's at... 500. It's 500. It's 500. I thought it had been increased. Yeah. But 500000 there you go. If uh, it, it, you, You're not subject to capital gains tax above 500,000. Uh, 500, so uh, very much like home properties, this is subject to its own capital gains rules as of now, but uh, it, it still is subject to some capital gains tax provisions. So uh, look into it. If you have a big loss, it's certainly worth talking to a professional about it. Even if you want to remain in cryptocurrencies, but you've suffered from the recent volatility, which has been primarily in a negative direction the last month or so. That's a generality. I understand there's thousands of them out there, but we're talking about the big players and you know uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and these these uh, names. Um, you know there has been a big pullback there, so it's worth looking into. Before I uh, go any deeper into cryptocurrency and get us flooded with a thousand emails on that and give Karen a, a stroke on the other side of the podcast, I could see the panic in her eyes welling as I said the word Ethereum. So I'm going to pivot now, uh, and we'll go into the main event. Uh, for today's conversation, which is credit card rewards, which I think is a fascinating topic. I'm going to give everybody an insight right off the beginning. I'm the most boring credit card person you've ever met. So I have a lot to learn from this because I certainly have not maximized the rewards available to me. So uh, with that in mind, like I said, we're talking about credit card rewards. And Karen, when we're talking about credit card rewards, what are credit card rewards? All right. Happy to take that question. Much easier answer, at least coming from me, than any question you could have asked about cryptocurrency. So what are credit card rewards? So the term reward is just kind of an overarching broad term used to describe incentives provided by credit card companies for spending. Uh, Rewards typically come in three forms, points, miles, or cash back. So what is a point? So I like to think of points as tokens, right? So typically, one point for every dollar of spending. Um, So a reward generally for all spending is provided um, from a credit card that provides rewards by way of points. Um, And they may reward some spending more than others. For example, Travel-related charges may get three points for every dollar, um, but say concert tickets may receive only one point for every dollar. And then these points can be redeemed or traded in for things like travel, gift cards, merchandise, even cash back. So that's the points category. And then for miles, I like to think of miles as mile tokens. Uh, Miles, they they work really similar to points. You charge on your card, you receive mileage points, and you get more points for certain purchases. So the difference here between miles and points is in redemption. So uh, when redeeming miles, the trade-in is generally limited to things like flights, car rentals, hotels, travel-related expenses. So you don't necessarily need to use your mileage points on airfare. It's just a general term used for travel-related expenses. Okay. Uh, And then cash back. So cash is, well, cash. So cash rewards can be applied um, towards a credit card balance if, you know, redeemed as basically 
uh, payment towards the credit card balance you have. Um, you can get cash as a check. You can get cash transferred to your bank account. And they're no different. You you earn cash rewards in the same way for using your card. And you may get more cash back on certain purchases. I think we find that um, we see cash back rewards specifically are higher on things like gas, grocery, dining, you know, really common expenses. So uh, what's fun about the reward landscape right now. It is definitely evolving. The rewards can change. Um, your current credit card, maybe you bought it because it gave you five times rewards, uh, you know, five points for dining. Well, your card company may change that. They may decide that dining is now worth three, but gas is worth five. So it's important to kind of stay, keep your hand on the pulse of what your card is actually offering. Um, but I, I, I'm, see, I was surprised and in, in Preparing for the podcast, I did a little research to remind myself what our primary credit card is rewarding us for. We have been underutilizing it because it is um, like two to five times on travel and dining, which we obviously haven't been doing a lot of in this COVID world. Um, but we will get back to that, hopefully with a vengeance and start to rack up some more points. Um, but, you know, rewards are starting to be be offered on streaming services. So if you've got a Netflix connected to your credit card, you might get higher rewards for something like that. Uber and Rideshare, uh, higher rewards for that. I know my credit card company, I think through the end of March, was offering like five times the amount of points if you took Uber or Lyft. Maybe it was just one of those two and not both of them, which sounds <laughs> more like it. And then um, food delivery services, right? So DoorDash, Uber Eats, those types. And there's even talk, Kobe, of rewards being offered in the form of really cool futuristic things like one that you just talked about, cryptocurrency, and then another like space travel. No joke. I mean, it's not happening yet, but there's talk that that's the future of rewards are in crypto and space. There is no doubt in my mind that Elon Musk is involved in that conversation. He must. Uh, be involved in that conversation. And I think if Elon Musk offered a credit card that offered benefits in cryptocurrency and space travel, the line would be astronomically, not to use a pun, astronomically long to get signed up for that card. So um, keep me posted on that because I may want to get in that line. My wife certainly would who wanted to be an astronaut when she was growing up. So I think, oh. uh, I think she would certainly make us sign up for that credit card. I uh, might not get in that line because I'm terrified of the thought of going to space and coming back safely. Uh, and I don't have a very solid understanding of the world that is crypto, not enough to do well by myself. I know that. So, uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, yes, it would be wildly popular if, if and when those, those reward types come to fruition. You know, before we move past the three types of rewards... You made me think of, actually, you made me admit something to myself while you were going through the three types of rewards, right? Points, miles, cashback. And that's that up until now, I have been a bit confused about miles and how that operated because I have A, never had a credit card that offered miles. And B, I've never used a credit card reward system to book any kind of travel. So I have really wrestled with, does a certain number of miles mean you can travel a certain distance? How does that work? It's the perfect question. And I thought the exact same thing when I started to research credit card rewards uh, in the form of miles. So um, to be very clear, 35, let's say you rack up 35,000 in mileage points, Kobe, that does not mean that you can travel 35,000 miles, okay? This is wildly important to get across for me personally because I have done the mental math before of, my goodness, 35,000 miles? The Earth is only like 25,000 miles around. <laughs> I, can, I can around the world in 80 days using my miles because I have more than it will take me to get around the Earth. And apparently... My dreams are are uh, shattered. That is not the case. Yeah, I'm going to bust your world travel bubble and tell you that, uh, unfortunately, the conversion on miles to 
value, right? The conversion from miles or rewards to cold, hard cash is not dollar for dollar. It is more like one cent for every dollar. So I can travel right now. Okay, so let's go back to my 35,000 mile example. If I have 35,000 miles, I have 35,000, give or take, the the exact conversion will vary based on the, the card provider and the reward. But generally speaking, 35,000 miles would mean that I have 35,000 pennies, right? So the conversion is generally one point or one mile is worth one penny. So 35,000 miles is worth about 350 bucks. So right now, Kobe, I could fly from LAX to New York round trip for about 350 bucks. And I'm only going to get about 5,000 miles out of that. Okay, so again, it's not a dollar for dollar conversion. And and again, the conversion value can vary and it will vary, but generally speaking, it's around one cent for every reward point or every mile. This is an important point. No pun intended. That's my second pun in the episode. I think I get punished after three. Uh, That is a very important point to make. And I am a bit disappointed. I was thinking I could use half my miles and take Kirsten to Paris. uh, And that's only 12,000 miles or whatever it is. And I'd still have, you know, 20,000 miles to go. Sounds like that's not the case. Are you Googling during the podcast how far the, how, how many miles the earth is and how far it is to Paris? Or do you just have this? Is this common Kobe knowledge? No, I made that number up, but now I am going to Google to see if I'm correct uh, in miles. So Phoenix to Paris in miles. The answer to this is, oh, I was way too far. It's only 5,466 miles from Phoenix to Paris. So a little too far to walk, but not too far to fly. Well, one way. One way. Right. And not also and one way and <laughs> only with my thirty five thousand endpoints probably won't right. get me there. That'll probably get me the mid Atlantic, and then uh, I'm going to be out of pocket for the rest of the way. <laughs> so we're talking about rewards, and I have to not trying to disparage the credit card companies, but I would imagine that they are not giving out rewards out of the goodness of their heart, and I imagine they are not just eating the cost of the rewards as some kind of charity to all of us who are using credit cards. So where does the money to pay for these rewards come from exactly? Yeah, you're right. Credit card providers are for-profit businesses. They are not doing this um, out of pocket. They are sourcing the funds. So the funds for these rewards come from three primary sources, two of which most listeners will be very familiar with. So um, annual fees are often a revenue generating source for card providers. Um, Some cards have an annual fee, others do not. And also interest, interest paid by cardholders. Those two things largely fund um, these rewards that the credit card companies effectively give back to the consumer. The third source of providing the rewards is probably a lesser known thing called interchange. Interchange, very simply, it's a fee paid by a merchant to the card issuer for taking payment by way of card. So like, if you just think of it as like a transaction fee for every transaction a card is used for that the merchant pays. And it's not just of credit cards, it's for debit cards as well. So... Um, there's typically like a flat minimum fee um, per transaction, and then there'll be a percentage of the transaction total on top of that. So maybe a flat fee of 30 cents plus one to 3% of the purchase amount would be the interchange amount. Now, um, this, I mean, we're, we may not have known the term interchange, but we've probably come across interchange. Anybody who's ever bought gas at AMPM is told that they will be charged 35 cents for using their card. AMPM has decided not to cover that interchange cost for us. And they're being very clear that they're um, adding it to our bill. And then, you know, when you go to the local convenience store or gas station and they tell you, 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 you can't just buy that pack of gum with your debit or credit card, they have a minimum purchase requirement to use your debit or credit card. That's to help cover their cost of the interchange. And of course, 
the merchants are probably including this operating expense in the prices that we pay. So, um, I mean, if at the end of the day, whether it be annual expense or an annual fee on the credit card, interest we pay on credit cards or interchange, we are, we as the consumer and the cardholders are largely funding the rewards programs. You know what is always very interesting to me is consumer psychology. And you were talking about that 35 cent from AMPM. And in my mind, I was immediately in a, a defensive position of, well, I'm not going to go to AMPM, right? I'll go to Chevron, which is going to charge me five cents more a gallon. But at least I didn't see the line item on my bill from or my receipt from AMPM, right? The mentality is so backwards. I'm pa probably paying more. But I just, I don't, I want it hidden. I don't want to see it. Yeah, you're so right. I've actually, <clears throat> at our local downtown, we have an AMPM right across the corner from a Shell gas station. And I have done the math. I do the math every time I'm at AMPM to see if Shell, without the 35 cent charge, but a higher per gallon charge would, un would be cheaper. And it isn't. If you, if you spread that $35 charge or excuse me, 35 cent charge. Did I say dollar a moment ago? 35 cent, $35 would change everything, of course. 35 cent charge over the number of gallons that you're putting in your car, it's going to add a few cents a gallon, maybe, you know, maybe a little less than that. Uh, and AMPM prices are generally lower than that. So we, we are very interesting in the way that we digest information and make decisions. There's a great book on this um, very famous book, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. It's very heavy, um, a lot of studies in there, but very interesting. It's still it's still very approachable, but it talks about all of these kind of, not I don't want to say fallacies, they're not really fallacies, but just the way we process and make decisions. At times, they are fallacies. And Daniel Kahneman's book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, one of the studies in there is kind of the seminal study around why investors tying it back to what we do for a living and help folks with uh, that that investors and really everybody we hate losing money twice as much as we like making money so that kind of comes out of Daniel Kahneman's study in that book but it's fascinating it's a lot of it's right on this topic and it's the same psychology that makes us upset about something that costs thirty dollars but excited about something that costs 29.99 right it has two as the front number it must be cheaper uh so right so so it's the same type of mentality it is very interesting and you're reminding me of two quick stories about the interchange i grew up with a family that has a retail sporting goods store and they've owned it for the last 20 years or so and i have I've, i recall over the years listening to my dad kind of complain about the interchange uh, fee that they're charged, but that they have to have it and they're not going to pass, they're not going to charge consumers, right? You come in to buy a baseball bat, you expect to be able to use a credit card um, and, and you really don't want somebody to say, you can use a credit card, but only 3%. They're going to go down the streets to Dick's Sporting Goods and buy it with a credit card, right? So you just have to deal with it. But I, I always remember it. So I actually knew about this well before just growing up. I've heard about this being on that side of uh, uh, the merchant side of the equation. But I'm also reminded of the last time Kirsten and I bought a used car. And we've talked about used cars before. And I used to not be kind of like used cars. I was always worried I was going to be inheriting other people's problems. Now I really like used cars. And so last time we bought a used car, we made a great deal. You know, I love to haggle and, and uh, buy cars and go back and forth. And we, we made a great deal on this car. And I, I had the thought, while we were sitting finalizing the deal, uh, I wonder if I can pay credit card for part of this purchase and get a bunch of points to, to further lower the price. And I remember the the sales rep said, "Nope, cash only, buddy. It's that I would lose three percent on that deal if you are paying with a credit card." So I have stumbled across interchange as others have out there quite a few times, but it is hidden a lot of the time. Uh, so we're we're paying for it. We don't realize it. You actually, that actually reminds me, there are certain transactions for which you will not receive a reward um, when using your card. So, uh, and this may not be true of all cards, although it was very true of mine because it was very clear in the fine print, which by the way, is not so fine anymore. There's got to be a font size requirement these days. But, you know, balance transfers did not typically create an award for my card anyway, although there can be bonuses. There can be, cards can provide large upfront bonuses. You know, you spend $3,000, you get 75,000 miles or something like that. But again, that's 
$750 for spending $3,000. So we'll talk about how to maximize that because there is a way to win at this game. um, And we'll talk more about that. But uh, annual fees generally, if that's assessed on the card, generally doesn't, you know, get a reward point. Cash advances typically don't get rewards points. So not everything is rewarded. Generally, it's it's, um, spending most often. So you already touched on this a little bit, but why are credit cards rewarding us for spending at all? Yeah, well, like I said, they are for-profit businesses. And if we don't use the card wisely, which unfortunately, Kobe, many of us do not, uh, interest on the card that we pay stands generally to benefit the ins- the card issuer more than the reward. So basically, the company can stand to collect way more in interest than they're going to pay us in a reward. So I'll give you an example. Let's say we go to dinner. We spend $100 on dinner and we get two points on the card um, for every dollar because we dined, right? So it's not one, it's two. So we dined there. And our card has an annual interest rate of 16% right? So two points for every dollar spent on dining. We spent $100 and we have a 16% interest rate on the card. So we're getting back $2 on that $100, right? Two cents for every dollar, $100 is $2. We received $2 in rewards. The monthly interest, if we carry a balance on that $100, the monthly interest is going to be about $1.33 is what it's going to cost us, right? So if we carry that balance and and the $1.33 from the first month interest carries over to the interest applied towards the second month balance, basically, if we carry a balance for a little more than one month, maybe, yeah, about a little more than one month, maybe one and a half months, the card company wins. They have received more in interest than we received in rewards. Plus, don't forget they got the interchange on the transaction from the restaurant. So uh, that's how they can do it, really. It's it's a bet by the card providers that uh, the rewards will not exceed the profit from interest. You touched on something really important there. And I wanted to... to bring it into focus before we moved on. And that is the compound interest nature of credit card debt. And we will probably do an episode at some point about credit cards, how to use them wisely, um, kind of the ins and outs of how they operate, maybe some of the good card cards that are out there, all of that. But I think even in this episode, it's really important to touch on the fact that credit card rewards do not justify in any way carrying a credit card balance for any number of time, right? That is one of the big dangers of a credit card is that it's so easy to spend, not as easy to pay it off every month. And even when you pay it off every month, study after study shows that if you use a credit card, you spend more. It's You, you don't have the same type of pain as you would handing over that $100 bill you've had in your wallet for some time when you get to use it to a card, you don't have to think about it for a month. The pain has subsided before you have to go pay for it. And hey, if you don't pay for it, you'll just carry it a little bit. And what could be the big deal? Well, very quickly, that compound interest starts to add up. And you can really get stuck in this debt spiral where it's compounding faster than you can pay it down. And that becomes a really big issue quickly. It hurts your credit. It can really get out of control. So Talking about rewards today does not remove the responsibility to make sure that you're utilizing this financial tool responsibly. Don't carry a balance. Um, Make sure you're paying it off every month. Be aware of the money that you're spending. And don't take on additional debt just to get some reward because a credit card company, as you said, Karen, is winning in that transaction. They've already made their money, right? You're You're not beating the house. The house is beating you always. So it's not worth it to carry that debt and allow that compound interest uh, to build. If you've never done the exercise with, if you have grandchildren or children, if you've never done the exercise of in a month's time, would you rather have a penny doubled every day um, or a million dollars? You should do it, right? So the first day you have a penny, second day, two pennies, four pennies, eight pennies. And by the end of the month, spoiler alert, if you were to double that uh, penny every day. Now, I don't have this number off the top of my head. I'm not going to Google it, but it's something around $3 million, right? But the majority of that is made right at the end when you've doubled 500000 to a million, then a million to two million, then two million to four million, right? That's how compound interest works. 
And it, the farther you get down the line, allowing compound interest to build, the more painful it gets. So I've gone on a long uh, rant here, if you will, but it's important. And I do come across it, especially with young folks who maybe their parents are clients of mine and they want to ask questions. And we start with, the, are you carrying credit card debt? Are you? Okay. Well, before you save, before you do anything else, pay off your credit card debt. Let's get you dug out of that hole, if you will. So anyways, I'm going to digress. That is my uh, discussion around the dangers of credit cards, but be aware of it. You're, I mean, you're exactly right. If, if to, to really reap the benefit of credit card rewards, you have to pay off your balance every month. You can't pay interest because interest will assuredly reduce, eliminate the value of the reward and cost you some on top of that without question, right? So um, rewards are for those. That's how you win. How do we win? We win by paying off our credit card balance every month and not paying interest. And then we reap the rewards. That's exactly right. Now, I would say we came up with, Kobe, three R's to remember to really maximize credit card rewards. That is research, remember, and repay. So research, determine which cards uh, align well with your type of spending, what will reward you most, and Remember to keep tabs because they do change. Those incentives do change by card. Uh, remember to use your card for the purchases that are giving you the most rewards. So if you uh, plan to travel, and that's how you're going to get the most from your credit card reward, and you can afford to and still pay off your balance, then don't forget to use your credit card for those airline tickets, right? Um, if you're rewarded more for travel, then don't forget to use that method of payment when you go to checkout. And then repay each month. Repay that charge. Pay off that balance every month. So again, research, remember, and repay. So listeners out there may, may notice at times, Karen and I don't share everything we're going to talk about with each other before we go into an episode. And I had not seen in the notes that we use to prepare to make sure the content is good for all of you out there, the research, remember, and repay. And I love that. And I'm going to steal it and use it. I think that is great. Three R's, it makes it easy. Research the cards that are best for you in your situation. Remember to, and I have a story about this, remember to use your card purchase uh, for purchases that are going to benefit you the most and get you the most points and repay it every month. Now, I said at the outset of this episode that I'm the most boring credit card person ever. It almost makes me... Um, unqualified to talk about rewards. I had to do research to be to be prepared to speak about this today because I have had only two credit cards forever. One of them is a basic cash back, 1.5% on all purchases cash back. And the other one, to my great shame, is a 1% cash back with rotating categories that are 5%, right? And I way too often forget to uh, turn on the categories. And not a month ago... I went to Home Depot because I um, was building some shelves in a closet and I needed a new circular saw. My circular saw had died. And so I needed a new circular saw. So I, I, had, a, I had a gift card, which was great. I went to Home Depot, bought a new Makita circular saw. It's great. Uh, seven and a quarter inches. It really got the job done. Great saw. Wasn't cheap, but it'll last me a lifetime. Got home and had an email reminding me to turn on my rewards only to discover that Home Depot was one of the 5% categories for the month and I had not turned it on. And I discovered it not an hour after paying $200 to Home Depot for a circular saw. So uh, this is something to certainly pay attention to. I'm guilty of it. Um, and I actually doing research for this episode, I discovered that there are some interesting rewards out there that I would probably get use out of. Now, the danger is, you know, never add debt just to get a reward. But if I could add maybe one more card that would benefit us when we travel and things like that, it may be worth it. I just need to uh, do step number one of the three R's, research a bit here and figure out what might be the right fit. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine that you are not alone in that story where you have to turn on Reminders? Is that effectively what you have to do? You have to opt in. Do I understand that right? To get yeah, so that particular quarter. reward. Yeah, and maybe this is unique. So I, I'll I'll let everybody in under the hood. It's a Chase Freedom card, and I have had it since I was in college, and it's always been that way. It only pays one percent cash back, but then there's rotating categories. But you have to, and I'm not. I can't remember it off the top of my head if it's uh, it's on a calendar quarter 
or but it is three months. So it's quarterly. I just don't know if it falls exactly on a calendar quarter. But uh, you have to opt in every quarter. So you have to activate, they call it, which again, I think it's the gym membership theory, right? You sell 10,000 gym memberships, even though your gym can only house a thousand people because you know 90% of people are not going to come. It's got to be the same thing, right? People are still using the card, but like me, they're foolish and they're not activating the rewards. So they're giving up rewards that they should be receiving. Still getting the 1% cash back, but I could have gotten 5% back on the circular saw. Uh, I probably should return it and then repurchase it. Um, but I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I wanted to do that. It was, I'd already used it. It was, uh, it was a great, well, so and you had a gift card, right? So you, and you, I had a gift card. you had the gift card is, yeah, yeah. it yeah. didn't cover all of it, but it covered a chunk of it. So, well, I mean, my only question to all that is who has time for that? I mean, who has time to remember to turn off and on? Yeah. I don't know if that's how all cards are. So if anybody out there has done their research and they have a better recommendation, Info at getthesense.com. We will share it with everybody. I'm sure most folks would want to know. There are great comparative tools out there, by the way. Um, Nerd Wallet has one. Lending Tree has one. If you Google credit card comparison 2021, there are great resources out there for that research, uh, that research stage in our three R's. Um, so certainly utilize that. And YouTube as well. There's uh, a lot of folks that do reviews on YouTube, if that's kind of your thing. There seems to be one guy that's very prominent in this space. Grant, I can't remember his last name, Graham something. I know nothing about him. I'm not endorsing anything he says on his videos. I, I don't know. But I, when I did my research, I thought, man, this guy really has this locked down. He's the first seven results on Google. So uh, he may be a good resource as well. Yeah, it, they're definitely getting easier. Uh, it's, I mean, the resources today, you can effectively go in and say a little bit about who you are and how you spend and they can help to just narrow down the card options that might be a better fit for you. So definitely leverage the use of technology today in 2021 to make this process easier for you. But I think that that could be a wrap on our credit card rewards. As, as we had said, listeners, we know there's a lot uncovered to, left to uncover with respect to credit cards and use of credit cards wisely. Uh, we will consider a future episode on credit cards in general. If you have any questions specific to credit, credit use, rewards that you'd like for us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. As always, you can reach us at info at getthesense.com. Again, that's info at getthesense.com. And right now, we've got to move on to our lesson learned. Can't we finish do. an episode without it. Kobe, what has been a lesson you've recently learned? So I'm going to do what is, and my clients would attest to this, and probably my coworkers would attest to this here in the Scottsdale office. I'm going to do one of my favorite things, and I'm going to make a book recommendation um, as my lesson learned because it was recommended to me. So it is a lesson learned because I didn't know anything of it. I love to read. Uh, I love to share good books when I find them. And I am currently reading a book uh, called When Breath Becomes Air. And it is about a neurosurgeon. It's a memoir of a neurosurgeon who passed away of cancer in his mid-30s. Um, and uh, he was a English major in college as well as biology. And the, the prose with which this book is written are just stunning. And it's a, a discussion around kind of the end of his life and the things that he's considering and, and uh, talking about. And he's re retelling joyous stories um, from earlier in life. And he actually passed away before he was able to finish the book. And it was finished by a friend. Actually, I believe it was finished by his wife, uh, rather. And so um, it, it's a wonderful book. I highly recommend it. You can find it on Amazon. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. But the book is called When Breath Becomes Air. Uh, and like I said, I, I highly recommend it. I have learned um, this week a great deal from reading um, his writing, which like I said, his writing alone is beautiful. So it's worth reading just for that. Well, that's great, Kobe. Thanks so much for sharing. So Karen, to end our episode today, what's your lesson learned? lesson learned is going to double back a little bit on what you had started talking about at the beginning of the episode. You had mentioned cryptocurrency a few times. And in the world of crypto, as well as some other um, unusual variables that are present today in June of 2021, has sparked an interest in trading. You'll remember in our last episode... Uh, we talked about the difference between trading and investing. And the trading space has become uh, much more popular. And we, we, as we spoke about on that episode, Kobe, 
Uh, it's gained popularity because of the simplicity. There's so much easier access to trading. You can open a trading account in seconds and begin trading in minutes. Um, and a, a good one of the more popular tools to do that or apps that that a lot of people are using is the Robinhood app. There are others. Um, you know, my husband decided to dabble a little bit in the Robinhood trade. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, in the role that Kobe and I sit in, we are required to report household financial transactions of a certain kind on a quarterly basis. We need to disclose the trading that we've done. And although it's my husband's account, I'm not on it because he opened it in seconds, you know, and was just doing it on his own. Um, I told him, I've got to know. I'm, I'm, in your, you're in my household. I mean, it doesn't get much closer than a husband and wife, so I actually have to disclose that information. And um, I, long story short, in attempting to disclose information on what is an account named individually by or held individually in my husband's name, it is not a jointly owned account. Um, I thought we should update. A, a beneficiary of sorts, you know? So for, you know, in certain states, I know this, I don't believe it's true in all states, but some states honor what's called a transfer on death. It's a designation that effectively works like a beneficiary designation would on a retirement account. So that if something, God forbid, were to happen to my husband, that money is, you know, just naturally flows through to me, his wife, and we don't have to worry about the California courts getting involved and dealing with probate and all that ugly stuff. And as I say this, I am aware that the better solution would be to have the Robinhood name in the name of our trust, the Robinhood account in the name of a trust. As I had mentioned earlier, we made two humans very quickly shortly after we got married. We also bought and remodeled two homes. So we haven't gotten our trust drafted yet, but it will be done by 2021. Mark my words. I'm going to use Kobe's saying here to say I'm like the, uh, what do you say, the chef that eats pizza? Right, I'm the financial advisor that doesn't have the time to practice what I preach, um, uh, but I will. And I will let everybody know you can hold me accountable, listeners. It will happen by the end of 2021. We will have all of our estate planning documents in order. However, in the meantime, as I was just at least looking to make sure the family would be protected and we could pass assets in the event of you know um, uh, an unexpected death, came to learn you cannot assign a TOD on a Robinhood account. They do not honor it. They do not support it. And so for those of you who have turned to the Robinhoods or the like to open just a quick trading account and you have some money in there, um, make sure it's properly titled. You know, Make sure there's a succession plan on that those funds so that if anything were to happen, funds can pass. It might not be a lot of money, but even more the reason, in my opinion, to avoid the headache that it could be to have to go through a more formal estate process, get a document from a court naming that person as the executor and the person with authority to take over the account and so forth. So um, just uh, definitely surprise and lesson learned that uh, that designation, that succession plan, if you will, um, if if you've opened just an account quickly in your name for the sake of getting in on that crypto trade as as, as fast as possible... Um, could be creating an unintended headache uh, for for your family. You've reminded me of two things. Experience has taught me that a lot of folks will say, we don't need to do that because I know the password and the login. And what I will tell you is being in the industry for some time, Karen, you can probably attest to this as well. If somebody has passed away and you log into their account, no matter who you are, and you perform some kind of action, move the funds, transfer it out, whatever, it can cause quite a headache. Uh, that could be flagged. They could require the funds to come back. They're going to restrict the account. It can be quite the headache. So that is not an appropriate plan uh, in this situation to just say, well, I have the login. So if something happens, I'll just log in and do it. No, please go farther down the line. Have an appropriate beneficiary. Name it in the name of you uh, and your husband, let's say, or uh, put your trust on there and um, just save yourself the headache and then additionally, it sounds like we have something to hold Karen to by the end of the year. So we'll definitely tuck that note away and make sure by the end of 2021, she has gotten her trust updated. So look for our Christmas episode this year uh, to focus heavily on whether Karen accomplished what she said she would have accomplished. I know this I know this really, uh, this Robin Hood thing really caught her off guard because I did receive kind of a random email at three in the afternoon with the heading, did you know? And inside the email was just 
the fact that Robinhood did not, no context. I didn't, I didn't know anything about this. I just received that. And I thought, you know, something has happened that has really caught her off guard about this. So there you have it. Uh, there is a good story behind it. And thanks for sharing that, Karen. I think it's, I think that's really important. I'm sure there's probably a reason that I, you know, that makes perfect sense as to why they would not support it. Maybe it has, I'm sure it's a legal reason, right? It can make perfect sense of it. But it was very surprising to me, as Kobe said, there were a lot of exclamation marks um, in my message to him of, did you know? I was pretty caught off guard um, and a little frustrated about it at the time. Fortunately, that was a couple of weeks ago. I've had some time to, you know, just kind of get over it and figure out a, a, another plan. But, um, and crypto's gone down. So <laughs> less money to worry about, I suppose, um, in the account anyways. So um, yeah, but it was, yeah, just a, it's one of those nuances that it's so, we don't even think about it. It's not even top of mind until it has to be. And then it's a headache. And that's part of our role. I think a large part of what we do for clients, Kobe, is we help avoid financial headaches. Yes. So, or at least we try. Sometimes <laughs> folks, folks don't take our advice and, sure. you know, they, they pay us for our advice and for us to help prod them along. We're happy to do it. Sometimes they don't take it and they still are left with the headache. But you're absolutely right. A big part of what we do is solve, prevent, and take care of financial headaches. And I will tell you, I didn't want to miss an opportunity to bring this conversation full circle and remind you, if there is a little bit of a cryptocurrency loss there. It is counted as property, not as a security, and the watch sale rules do not apply. Uh, so you could capture a little bit of loss on that cryptocurrency trade. So bringing it full circle to my uh, my what's on my money mind to start the episode for today. Well done. All right, everybody. Uh, that is a wrap for us. We hope you enjoyed this conversation around credit card rewards. Certainly enjoyed putting it together for you. If you have any comments, questions, topics you'd like us to talk about, please send all of it to info at getthesense.com. Uh, until next time, we look forward to chatting with you soon. So long. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Get The Sense and online at beaconpoint.com. That's point with an E. Be sure to check back regularly for new episodes. Until next time, keep your dollars and we'll keep our cents.